0: That's a family who knows how to smile. I tell you, they—they uh, don't, they don't need. They could give classes on how to smile. So uh, that's sweet. So the Zisses, How many remember the Zissis? All right, good. Several of you. They did a good job when they were here, and uh, so they—they're moving their entire family to uh, the Philippines on the 18th of November. So that's a quite a sacrifice. And and they are going to a region. Uh, I was really when I first. I wasn't very honestly the first time I met him and heard what he was doing. I wasn't that impressed. Um, and then uh, the time, the, the, and that was early on years ago, but he has really grown a lot in his understanding of uh, what's going on on the ground. And uh, I was very, actually last time was, I was very impressed with all that he's learned and, and uh, all that they've experienced already in the Philippines. Uh, his plans and his agenda there I think are going to be very effectual as far as discipleship, making disciples uh, he's just like-minded as we are, and uh, and so those that, if your kids went to camp, and they talked about uh, Stephen preaching, Stephen Winnicott, they're all from the same church, First Baptist, First Baptist Church of Jackson, Ohio, Pastor Tom Gang, and uh, it's been a while since Tom's been here, several years. Tom preached here uh, one time, did a great job too, but they have a good church, good discipleship church, and uh, they're going to do a great job of reproducing spiritual fruit there, and so uh, they're in that region. How many of you remember Martin and Gracia Burnham? You remember those guys? So they're in that region, not too far from where they were working. Uh, they're going to be in an urban setting. Uh, and they've already got nationals ready to go waiting on them. And uh, it's just going to be, I think they're going to have a good run by God's grace in a key area. Because to the south of where they're at um, uh, is, very, is very Islamic. So that whole uh, Malaysian uh, area down there has a lot of Islam. That's who... Abu Sayyaf is the ones that attacked uh, the, and, and took the Burnhams hostage. You might remember that and all the tension that was going on there. So uh, hopefully they can get some of those Muslims bo- uh, saved as well while they're down there doing that work. Okay, right, so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Revelation. We'll jump into the study tonight. We're, we're talking tonight about the church of Thyatira. Everybody have handouts that needs them? All right. They were at the connections counter. I think I have enough for everybody so probably just about enough. Uh, we're in Revelation chapter 2, and somebody tell me, why are we in Revelation? What does that got to do with church history? Huh? It's, yeah, the end times, that's true. Revelation does show us the end times. Yeah, the different churches, the seven churches represent for us seven church ages. So the reason that we use Revelation chapter 7, is a, or Revelation 7, Revelation 2 and 3 has seven churches that represent for us a, an outline or a pattern for seven uh, the seven historical churches that John was writing to in 96 AD. That God gave the, the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. John was to give it to the churches, uh, which he did. Those seven churches also set for us a pattern leading us to Revelation 4-1, which is the catching away of uh, a type and a picture. Or, well, not the type. It is a catching away when John gets caught up. That's what's going to happen to the church, uh, Revelation chapter four and verse one. So, uh, so these seven churches really rep for, represent for us seven church ages. And it just it happens now in retrospect to look back how this all lines up perfectly with history. And really, God is giving us the uh, template. He's giving us the the uh, information we need to understand what's what's here, frankly, uh, and what's coming uh, with the coming. Uh, Time of uh, tribulation, and then our return uh, at the second coming with Jesus Christ to stomp out the Antichrist and uh, take over the earth, uh, because that's what's on the agenda is to take over the earth. So, and uh, they're working pretty hard on it. So, we've covered uh, as far as churches. We covered Ephesus, uh, Smyrna, Pergamos, and now we're looking at Thyatira, which takes up uh, the lion's share, the rest of chapter two, and. There's more written about Thyatira than the others thus far, uh, voluminous amounts. Uh, and so I think that's probably the, the most volume is written. Uh, probably they're number one, and I think Laodicea would be number two. And so, um, at any rate, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18, I'll just read this. You can read along with me. It says, Unto the angel of the church of Thyatira, write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eye like unto a flame. I'm sorry, his eyes, plural, like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and thy charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, uh, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols." And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children uh, with death, and all the churches shall know that I am He which uh, searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine... And which have not known the depths of Satan, as they, uh, uh, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already. Hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So praise the Lord for his word. Um, So we see here that uh, this church of Thyatira, there's one thing against it, and it's this Jezebel issue that comes up in uh, verse 20. Uh, Other than that, he's like, you know what? You guys have held in there strong. I'm going to just make sure you hang on until the end. And so Thyatira, church age, uh, just kind of gave you the time frame. This is a time frame from, 500 to 1000 AD. So this church age begins with the time we call the, the Dark Ages. Um, today, when you go to college, they call it the Middle Ages because I don't want to be honest and talk about the Dark Ages, but it was the Dark Ages. And it ends around the time of the beginning of the Crusades uh, from 500 to 1000 AD. Of course, the Crusades, um, you know, after 600 AD, Islam is is uh, is the advent of Islam. So, there's all kinds of parties going on over Israel because you have two false religions fighting over uh, Jerusalem at that point. But that's a whole other discussion. Uh, so the Bible was removed from the hands of the common man. Uh, look at Psalm 119, and we'll just look at this passage. Uh, Psalm 119, and verse 30. You know, the Word of God is, is, is instrumental. Uh, not instrumental, I mean, it's more than instrumental. It's everything. Without the Word of God, you're just, you're in bad shape. And, um, and so you know they talk about epic illiteracy, there, there's a reason for that. and it's not because um, people couldn't read. It's be, I mean, there, obviously people can read if they're educated. but there's times when the church doesn't want people to read. And I say the church very loosely, the, the, the Satan's church and synagogue, of Satan, so uh, Psalm one nineteen and verse thirty. I'm almost there. You guys are there. If it, someone has it, go ahead and read it because I'm I'm going to get there. Yeah, he'll he'll they'll hear him. Thank you. The entrance of thy word. Uh, wait a minute. That's not. That's not it. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid... That was a great verse. Yeah, that's good though. Uh, no problem, brother. So I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. And so, uh, and so this takes... So what happened was the Bible was removed from the hands of the, the common man. Now that happened, you know, when you go over to Psalm um, chapter 12... Um, you can, there's a, that's a verse we like to talk about or quote when we talk about the preservation of God's word. But there's a, there's a problem. It says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. Um, you know, when that happens, when the godly men cease, it's a problem. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all the flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said with our tongue, We will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is the Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord, I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words, a silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. And so uh, the word of God is, is so important. Um, to the preservation of humanity. It's important to, obviously, you know, the truth of of God's word, getting out to all peoples and preserving those that are oppressed. Um, God has a heart for the oppressed in every dispensation. He's just a good God like that. And so the Bible was being removed from the hands of the common man. And uh, that's why the ages become dark. In your notes there, it says it takes... I forgot to move my slides. I apologize. There we go. Okay, so it takes us to the heart of the Dark Ages because the Roman religious councils completely replaced the authority of the Word of God. So we talked about this Nicolaitan system, just a little review. What was the Nicolaitan system about? Anybody remember? Let's see if we retained anything in a week. Right, they exalted themselves above the, the lady. The priest class gets instituted. Like, remember, Jeff was talking last week. Uh, when he was say he got saved and went to his priest and started talking and asking him questions about the Bible, he's like, "Hey, I'm not I'm not embellishing." He was like, "You don't need to be consulting the Bible. You need to be consulting me. I'm in essence, and I'm the authority," which is what made Jeff leave um, because that's like crazy. But you just that's exactly the the mindset, which is uh, the councils. Remember the Council of Nicaea. Those 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 doctrines, which weren't altogether bad, there's some good, there's some bad, but those teachings ended up ruling over the written word of God, the preserved word of God. And that puts people in bondage every time. Um it doesn't matter if you're a Roman Catholic or a Baptist, a fundamental Baptist that wants to, you know, rule with a rod of iron over the congregation and beat the sheep, which also happens by the way. Spirit of Antichrist, Spirit of Antichrist, no matter where you find it. And so uh, Roman religious councils completely replaced the authority of God's word. So the Roman Catholic Church controlled the world um, at this time through religion. Every nation, of course, wanted to be blessed by God. And of course, if you didn't want to be blessed by God, you could always uh, Charlemagne will come along with his army and uh, take you over. So that you know th- that tension ends up becoming why Napoleon ended up. Napoleon eventually ended up invading Rome and uh, sacking it uh, later on because he was tired of Rome as well. So, um, but at any rate, that's a whole other discussion that's up into the Philadelphian church age. So, uh, so the Bible was removed from the hands of common people. Now when we say that, there's no printing press, there's no King James Bible, right? This is, this is a long time before that. Uh, so you're talking about uh, uh, the, the italic. Uh, Bibles, the you know the Bibles that people would have been reading, the Greek Bibles that were coming out of the Koine Greek uh, that they had in the you know the first 500 years or so, the Roman, uh, Latin Bibles, all of those things were were not to be found in the hands of common people. In pergamus period, the church, and by the way, illiteracy was ridiculous. Uh, it got worse and worse through the Dark Ages. So the way that worked, and this isn't in our notes. I'm just talking. So the way it worked, if you wanted to be, if you wanted to ascend in in the structural structure, uh, you had to be born. Usually, the, it's very similar to this in the in the Asia still, among the Buddhists. Um, the oldest, the first the oldest child becomes the priest, and goes. You know, that's an honor. And the oldest child goes to the monastery because we talked about monasticism last time. That started getting, you know, started to come on. And they, those are the literate folks so they go and they become they become the, the literate folks and they because there's no distinction between church and state these are also the people who rule uh, they are the educated people they can read they have access to knowledge the the gnosis right the gnostic mindset and so they have that knowledge and that they then are the elites they are the ones that rule and you can kind of see that today in a kind of a whole different way people who uh, have the information have the data it's not knowledge, really. It's just the data. Who control the data? Try to control the society. You see, and so it's the same process, different day. And uh, and the average people are like, "Wait a minute!" But I can think too. And they're like, "No, you can't. <laughs> we'll do the thinking for you." But uh, uh, and so that's why this book, by the way, that's why this book is so 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 dangerous. Because this is all you really need. If you have nothing else to think about or think on, this is the book that you need. This right here will set you free. It make you free. Uh, and so, because all of history from beginning to end is recorded. You're all, I'm already ahead of the game because I already know what the end says, right? So you have all the knowledge that you really you, you need to learn anything. And any old common farmer out here in Cass County, right, that can read at a sixth grade level, fourth grade level can pick up this book. And by the way, it may be Old English, but the actual, it's a lot easier to conjugate all the, the words in a King James Bible than it is a new King James Bible. Uh, by the way, just try reading one yourself and you'll find that out. Um, and so very simple syllables, right? Just everything breaks down, easy to read. You can get your head around it. It's the mind of God. It's available. Uh, it's amazing, the power in God's word. So Rome did not want that happening. Um, and so we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. Uh, so let me move on to point C here. In, in the Pergamus period, the church was married to the world, which produced a counterfeit church. In Thyatira, uh, in the Thyatira church period, the counterfeit church is married to a political system. It's now referred to as the uh, Holy Roman Empire. How many of you have heard of the Holy Roman Empire? So most of you? Yeah. And so the word uh, empire is the key. So what basically happened was the Roman Empire, which we saw under Constantine, gets converted to the Holy Roman Empire because that title, remember that Pontius Maximus, is now... In the hands of the church, so he is the kingmaker, um, and uh, I don't have the dates here. But when Charlemagne was in this uh, period, Charlemagne was anointed king. That made the king uh, that made the Roman Church the kingmakers at that point, and so they even had an army. Can you imagine if Hartland had an army? Eight fourteen, like yeah. And so then, uh, thank you, Ron. So, uh, so at that point, it really it, that really dominated Europe. Because uh, the Pope could call out the dogs on anybody he chose, and uh, and so that's why that's why even like the, later on in the next the next church period we'll get into even the sinking of the Spanish Armada, the act of God was really all about freeing up humanity, getting the, getting it, getting England loose so that the the English uh, Bible could get propagated. Whether they knew that or not, that they didn't have to know all that. But that's really uh, in God's providence. That's what He was doing was keeping Great Britain free. So. Uh, they could continue to get the Bible get where it needed to go, uh, and so and eventually uh, get us. We got free, so we really put that on steroids for a minute. All right, so um, so this time period um, also uh, introduces us to a man named Muhammad and a religion called Islam. Now I can't talk about that anymore because I might get a radical terrorist in here to cut, chop my head off. No, I'm just kidding, kind of. And so, um, no, he witnessed the idolatrous atrocities of the Roman Catholic Church, and uh, he wanted to do something about it. And so, um, he claimed that he received a a visit from the angel Gabriel, and um, and then during this visit, he was proclaimed to be a prophet. And so, uh, ultimately, the followers of Islam would also fall under the heavy hand of the Roman Church. And uh, we start to see a pattern develop of error beginning error. And uh, there's also some that would say that Islam came directly out of Rome. Uh, They do use the same uh, pagan uh, prayer beads and a lot of the same practices of asceticism. just depends what sect that you're dealing with of Islam. Um, And so one of the plans of Satan with Islam is to muddy the water of truth. And so... Uh, there's, there's only been three main players to this point, counting Judaism. Um, and that's been, of course, the Mystery of Babylon religion and uh, true faith-based Christianity. Uh, but now we have this, this Muslim sect, and this is more paganism, uh, and it encompasses all the Gentiles' r- religions. But uh, uh, in the 7th century, the devil really pulled a slick one with Islam. Islam is, is nothing more than Another attempt to hide true Bible Christianity if someone has to make a choice uh, there's more choices now there's a, a fourth element you can go to, and uh, not just paganism, not just Judaism, not just Christianity of, of some sort, but now you've got islam so huh uh, he was he was initially started out in um, um, Hang on, and I'll tell you that. Medina in Mecca. Benita, Medina is where I think he started, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, and verse 8. I'm going to take a hiatus for just a moment on Islam, because I think this is important for uh, our, our understanding for this, this discussion. I, I do think Islam is going to play large in the tribulation. Even their prophecies line up perfectly with the coming Antichrist. Um, and so when Rome and Islam come together, it's going to be a real power, powerhouse. Um, and you talk about putting leverage on people. You put those two together, and the kings of the earth pretty much got to do what you say. Uh, and so, uh, and especially if you remove the church, we're the only sane people that don't want to just chop everybody's heads off left. So, um, so I mean, it's really, um, really going to be a bloodbath once uh, those two get together. All right, so go to Galatians uh, and so I'm teaching Revelation right now in HBI, so my mind is tracking. I'm, I'm going back in history and jumping forward to the future. Back, So forgive me if I'm kind of like dyslexic and you're going, what is he talking about? So I'm kind of tracking two different, same texts, two different eras. So Galatians chapter 6 and um, uh, Galatians chapter 1, I should say, rather. Now this is this also applies, what we're going to read here applies to any religion that's a false religion. Um, but he says uh, I'll start verse six he says I marvel that you are so sh- soon removed from him that called you in the grace of Christ into unto another gospel like if you go to the the Mormon uh, the visitor center down here they literally say here here's our Bible it's another gospel it's another go- It's it's the other gospel I'm like no <laughs> my Bible actually talks about that it's unbelievable they don't even try to hide it which is not another right it's not another um, but there be some that trouble you, and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So it's a perversion. It's not another gospel. There's not another good news message. It's a perversion. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which he have preached, which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So Muhammad is accursed. Joseph Smith is accursed, and they both end up producing holy books uh... that do not lead you to christ and so uh... just so you just so you know so that's one of the reasons you got to be careful so keep galatians one eight in your pocket uh... the process of uh, that we just talked about with muhammad um... was was not of god at all um... and so unfortunately muhammad's accursed so uh... muhammad claims that all the promises of god descended through ishmael not isaac and uh, he was a polygamist he had as many as fourteen wives which in the Middle East is a, more of a badge of honor than a than a you know a, a detriment. But it's recorded that one of his nine wives or one wife was nine years old and the other one was six. And so, if that history is right, a few weeks ago I said on Sunday morning he was a pedophile. I wasn't being cute or being inflammatory. I mean, if you're marrying six-year-old girls and nine-year-old girls, that's that's perverse. Um, he was supposedly illiterate yet uh, was chosen by the angel Gabriel to translate uh, the revelations that he received. He had to flee from Mecca to Medina. Uh, So I think he was from Mecca, to answer your question, um, because they persecuted him for his teaching. In Medina, he was able to convert many by his preaching. Later, uh, he returned to Mecca, where his teaching was now embraced. Uh, He was a murderer uh, who assembled an army to convert or kill infidels. And so there's really five phases of islam i'm not i'm not here to do a class on islam but there were five phases that went through in the in his time in his lifetime which are the five phases of islam they still use to integrate into the countries so first it's peaceful he was really he at first he was like oh the jews are our brothers it's all peace and love and all that everything's good and then incrementally uh the more uh, he was established uh, then the more bloody he became, and more uh, autocratic he became, to the point of like, hey, by the way, if you're not a Muslim, we're gonna kill you, and that's the that's new that's the gospel of Islam, uh, and so and so uh, you know that's kind of how it depends on what flavor of Islam you get. That's ultimately why jihad so important to many uh, many uh, uh, what do you call them um, huh Muslims? Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for uh, Muslims. Um, because a lot of them feel feel like feel like they are, you know, at the apex at the at the front end of what God wants to bring in the kingdom. Depending on if you're Sunni or Shia, that, that has a different meaning. Um, the some believe that they need to bring in uh, the Messiah, you know, so they need to get a war going so Messiah will return, which again plays perfectly into the end times prophecy. So uh, he was a murderer. He assembled armies to convert or kill infidels. Uh, he died in 632, but his movement didn't. Right, just like Osama bin Laden and and Mullah so and so gets killed, but you know Islam keeps rolling because it's a bigger it's a bigger deal than uh, one man. Would to God cr- Christians would feel the same and, and same thing for us. Of course, our 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 leader's alive. He can't die. He's in heaven. You can't touch him either. So uh, he's already been killed once, and that's all he's gonna die. So it's over. We win. <laughs> so no matter what. So that's pretty awesome. Um, but would the God the, the Muslims would learn that Christ, uh, he loves them and he died for them. He wants them to be saved. And so we have Muslim friends that have, have seen in their own Bible that the, that the prophecies of Islam, of, uh, of Muhammad uh, and the Quran teach that you know, Jesus is more than a prophet because he created. And by their own rules, by their own writings, they know that, that the creator is God. So that therefore, Jesus must be God. So they need to read the Quran a little closer, and realize that even if they really believe in their holy book, it's going to tell them Jesus is God, and then they'll have a decision to make, Uh, and then, uh, and so many, by the way, many Muslims are coming to Christ, so when I talk about Islam, I'm not talking about Muslims, there's a lot of good Muslims, like there's a lot of great Catholic people, Um, I'm talking about the teaching, and God's able to save all of us, whether we're pagans, whether we're uh, Muslims, whether we're Roman Catholics, whether we're uh, you know, uh, evangelicals have never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? He's still able to save us um, and because he saved sinners. So the movement moved into Egypt, moved across North Africa, across the Straits of Gibraltar, conquered Spain, right? That's where you get the Moors. And um, and then um, finally stopped at tour, uh, Tours, France in 732. So that was quite an expansion uh, in, you know, about a hundred years after 100 years. I mean, Islam just really took off across Northern Africa and into the Southern part of Europe. And then they, uh, they were, they were, are the enemies of the cross. A good quote, uh, that I found on this is Christian and Jewish martyrs say, I will die for what I believe. And a, and a Muslim terrorist says you will die for what I believe. So there's a difference. So, the mindset of, I will die for what I believe. And they're like, yeah, and you will die for what I believe. <laughs> so, so kind of a different way of thinking. Islam started by the prophet Muhammad. It's reported that Muhammad was illiterate, as I've already said. Um, and so I've already touched on all of that. Um, so that's where I'm going to stop. Okay, so a little bit about, about Islam so we can move on. Uh, so when we looked at our t- – we saw in our text um, – Let's see. We've already covered all that. Oh, here we go. I'm sorry, guys. I'm off track. Uh, we saw in our text in, uh, in verse 18 through um, um, 29, the church of Thyatira, their name means odor of affliction. Odor of affliction. So th- this was a church that suffered from a great deal of affliction. and uh, And so... Uh, this time in history, this time of church history, was especially bloody. Rome used used to persecute Bible believers because they wouldn't embrace the false uh, gods of paganism, uh, and it started, you know, back with Nero. And so, you know, that would be the, you know, that would be during the first century. Paul was able to visit with Nero himself, and of course, Nero was no ended up being no friend of the church. And when I say church, that was before the Roman Catholic Church ever existed. Um, and so that was the born-again Christians in Rome, those that were in his own house, right? Because Paul was talking about the Christians in his house, in, 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 uh, in, the, in the prison there. So uh, Rome is imprisoning at this time, beating, and this is from 500 to 1000 A.D. Uh, they're, they're beating, they're grilling, they're burning. And when I say grilling, I don't mean they're just interrogating them. They're literally putting them on a grill and burning them. I mean, it's just terrible. Uh, they're, they're burning them, beheading them, impaling them, torturing and killing them, uh, Bible believers, because they would not embrace the false doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, there's a pastor named, he's a missionary, actually, a missionary named David Cloud in Nepal. And he has a little book. You could look up, uh, I forget, Way of Truth, I think, uh, David Cloud. Anyway, he has, what is it? Way of Life. Way of life. Yeah, and you can get you could you can find his uh, church history information. He has a really he has a lot of great uh, historical data. He went to Oxford and Cambridge libraries in London and done a lot of research and gathered up a lot of detailed information reports from Roman uh, Jesuits and well Jesuits for that was after this, but from the Roman uh, the folks that would uh, persecute and kill Christians and all the details they would write down. That's why we know a lot about what happened, because Rome recorded a lot of it. It's kind of macabre and disgusting, but they did. And so, um, and so we see here in verse 18, it says, uh, Under the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. You see that in the introduction as well. The Son of God, of course, uh, is, is different from the Son of Mary. Uh, Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, Mary uh, uh, is—he's he's not the—he was obviously born of a woman, but he's God's Son. His eyes are like unto a flame of fire. Uh, he's all seeing, uh, and his feet are like fine brass, which is office, often associated with God's judgment. Uh, the, he, there's a commendation there in verse 19. This is—they did some things well. Uh, I know thy works and thy charity and the service and faith and thy patience and thy works. That the last be more than the first. So they were a hard-working church. They were a charitable church. They were a good church. Uh, they also are noted in verse twenty-four and twenty-five for enduring hardness. But that which they ha- that which they have—they, I'm sorry—that which ye have already, which you've got, hold fast, right? Hold on to it tightly till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto, him, unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And so, uh, so we see here that there is uh, a commendation for the church at Thyatira. So God never takes his eyes off of him. Uh, even when things were going bad, he never forgot about him. He never left him. Um, and so uh, and God doesn't leave us. Even when, like right now, I'm sure there's some saints running for their life in, in Afghanistan, but God's with them, right? If we're not with them, God's with them. And, uh, and so keep, it, keep that in, in prayer because that's difficult. Uh, this group did not adopt the doctrine of the woman of Jezebel, which is mentioned in 24 and 25. He says, But, but unto you I say, and to the rest, and Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, this doctrine is in reference to Jezebel, uh, that's mentioned up in verse 20, um, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you no other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. So in that commendation... He's saying you haven't gotten caught up in this doctrine of Jezebel. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, so there's a... let um, see. Am I keeping up? No, I'm not. Sorry. So this group did not suffer like the rest. So God protected this group. Uh, and I'll talk about that here in just a moment. So um, they did get some divine uh, protection. All right. So... Um, Let's talk about the com- condemnation. So we've got the uh, the meaning of their name, the, the introduction. We've got the common, uh, commendation, and now the condemnation. And then we'll get a little bit deeper into that. Someone is committing fornication and eating things sacrificed to idols. So what is that all about? I'm glad you asked. So in verse 14, it's, re- it's referred to uh, as the doctrine of Balaam. So we talked about that last week. Remember the doctrine? We spent some time talking about Balaam and Balak and all of that, uh, there's a doctrine, a teaching. And we talked about how they, they, the, the church in uh, Pergamos was, anybody remember what Pergamos meant? Yes. Much marriage, right? So they were married, very good. So they're marrying uh, paganism. Uh, that's what Balak did. He says, uh, hey, what do I do, Balaam? And he's like, well, I can't curse God's people. You know, wink, wink, nod, nod. But, you know, if you marry your daughters to them, I can't help what they do when they go and, you know, get together and start worshiping idols, you know. And so basically that's what happened. God wasn't happy with that. Um, And so there's that doctrine of Balaam. And then in verse 20, uh, we see that this this issue of Jezebel comes along. And uh, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants and commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So, this is a female prophetess. Now, we know that these are literal, both of these are, are Jewish examples from the Old Testament and very, uh, very colorful characters, especially Jezebel, very colorful, co- colorful character. And so, we, we need to dig into this a little deeper and see what is, is going on with this. So, when the Bible refers to a woman, in quotes, in regard to religion, it's always a type of organized religion. So let's take a moment and just look at Proverbs chapter 5, and we're going to look at these references, um, Proverbs chapter 5. This is a practical, you know, you can use this with your, your son or what have you. Um, I always, you know, I do. It's important that you see the, the practical aspects of this. But there's also uh, really a deeper meaning in regard to, um, to false religion. And so Proverbs chapter 5, there we go. Whenever you see these, you know, you see Israel herself with be, being called a harlot with Gomer, right? Because she's committing adultery on, on, uh, on God, and he has to go through that whole ordeal. Um, well, check out Proverbs 5. Look in verse 3. It says, For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. What else is a two-edged sword in the Bible? The word of God. So the devil knows how to use uh, Jezebel's words as a sharp two-edged sword, piercing, even dividing asunder, right? I mean, her words go deep and can penetrate. Um, And so, but her end is bitter as wormwood. um, And so her feet, verse 5, go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Oh, man that's pretty uh that's that's pretty serious. It goes on to say, lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable that thou canst not know them you, you don't need to try to figure it out too much just stay away from her um, and so um, revelation seventeen um, let me let me keep reading i I don't want to stop there. Uh, go down to verse seven, hear me now, therefore, O ye children, depart from the words of the, of uh, depart not from the words of my mouth that's the Lord that's the Father. Remove thy foot thy way far from her, and come not nigh to the door of her house, lest thou give thine honor unto others and thy years unto the cruel, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger, and thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. And say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. And that's just a powerful passage. I just, man, that is, that's a strong warning. So uh, be careful there. Now, the other reference that we have here is Revelation 17, which deals with mystery uh, Babylon religion. So Revelation chapter 17 Check this out. Um, this deals with the religious Babylon, and he says in verse one, he says, "And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee of the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication." So he carried me away. In the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting upon scarlet colored beasts full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet um, uh, color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So, this is a, a whorish woman, and upon her uh, forehead was a name written Mystery Babylon the Great, Mother of Harlots. And abominations of the earth, and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration, and the angel said unto me, "Where didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman of the beast that carrieth her and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. the beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition." Uh, that's the Antichrist, they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were written in the book of life uh, from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was that was and is and is not uh, and is yet yet is and is not and yet is, and here's the mind of the of that hath wisdom: the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth, and there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come, and uh, when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was uh, and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, uh, uh, which have received no kingdom as of yet, but receive power as kings, one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords, and the king of kings. Uh, they that are, uh, that are with him are called... And chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples. So, what are the waters she's sitting on? They're people. She's on top of the people. She's over, she's, you know, riding upon them. And the multitudes and the nations and tongues, she's over them. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So, those ten kings are going to destroy her. For God hath put in their heart to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Uh, now, some would just recently argue, that's is that Jerusalem or is that Rome? Well, I won't get in that tonight, but it's Rome for now. It's Rome throughout church history for sure. So, Because that's where mystery Babylon religion is located. All right, so the woman in regard to religion is always a type of organized false religion. You see that. So when you get to Jezebel, uh, that is not any. You have nothing uh, that is not going to change. So Jezebel is also a religious system. And so uh, you have on your outline here several things. We're not going to read Judges 17 and 18, but we're just going to fill in these blanks for you and give you the backstory for time's sake. But um, in Judges uh, 17 and 18, you find a, a Levite is a uh, commissioned to be the personal priest and and literally it says father to an Ephraimite man named Micah. The Levite priests used Micah's idols and images as part of their new religion. Uh, And so Micah had uh, stolen some stuff. He gives his money to his mom. His mom's like, hey, let's make some images or he's making some images. Anyway, they're all happy. They got their own religion. They're like, hey, let's get us a priest. So they start their own priesthood. They get this priest to come by uh, and Micah's all happy. Uh, and he's got all this set up and he's got his idols and his images as part of their new religion I mean he's ready to go and then one day the tribe of Dan uh, comes along and confiscates the priest for themselves they roll down through town uh, and they're like hey you, who are you and uh, hey why don't you join us we need a priest now they're supposed to be worshipping at Shiloh that's where the tabernacle's set up that's where they should all have been worshipping Micah, the tribe of Dan, all of them they were all off track by the way um and so uh he leads them to in the same religion with his ephod and his teraphim uh, and they call him father. So now you have you have this guy and you can go read this in Judges 17 and 18. Um and micah's like you took my religion and they're like hey listen Micah, do you want us to kill you? And they're like he's like no. And he's like okay then go home. So Micah goes home and he lost his religion. And so um, it just sounds like a rock song, doesn't it? Losing my religion or something. So, so he lost his religion, and and he and he goes home, and that's it. So you think, oh, that's it? Well, that's not it. So the tribe of Dan is—they're in total apostasy, by the way—for nearly a thousand years. Dan is uh, not a not a, t- a tribe that has a good reputation. They end up building a city near Zidon, where the Zidonians are, um, and so. Uh, the Zidonians are worshippers of Baal, and uh, uh, as some people call it, Baal. Baal, I call it Baal. Baal worship. Dan now uh, down. Dan now dwells near them and mixes in with them, as they worship in apostasy their black robe priest called father, and their idols and images. Right. So now you have Danites uh, mixing in. Which, by the way, when you go to the Book of Judges, most of the tribes were pagans. I mean, they were getting really. It, th- I, that's confusing, but what it, what it boils down to is it wasn't that they just did one or the other, they just did it all. And so instead of worshiping the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob exclusively, as they should have, they're like, well, you know what, I'm going to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but just in case, I'm going to pick up this God over here and this God over here. and this God. So now when you look at it in that term, you're like, oh, they're like Americans. Yes, exactly. They're just like Americans. So You know, a lot of Americans are like, oh, I worship God, but really we don't. We worship the dollar. We worship our education. We worship whatever, our own perceived strength. You know, we're not really depending on the Lord a lot of the times. We depend on something other than God. So there's a lot of education in this process. Uh, Everyone does that which is right in their own eyes at that time. So you can see all the parallels of paganism. That's why we live in a post-Christian world right now because a lot of paganism is, is in the church. Not just Christmas trees. I'm talking about, you know, idolatry. Um, and so, uh, anyway, moving on. I, I wasn't supposed to start preaching. I'm supposed to be teaching. So, First Kings. Now, let's go to First Kings chapter uh, 16 because that, that's a passage we can dig into just, just quickly. First Cor- or First Corinthians. First Kings, chapter 16. Somebody want to read that on the mic? Hot mic. Are you saying you? Not me. Okay. Anyone? Bueller? Okay. Jamie's got a good radio voice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, verse 29. Yeah. And in the thirty and eight year of Asa king of Judah began Ahab, the son of Omri, the reign, or to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbol, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Let's see. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Thank you, Jamie.
0: So before I jump in the middle of that thing, let's just start at the top in verse 26 when it mentions here the progression. So, because this links us back to Judges and we, did, we haven't looked at it, but it says here in verse uh, 29, in the 30 and 8th year of Asa king of Judah began Ahab the son of Omri to reign. Uh, that's not what i Verse 30, And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Jeroboam 31, And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So somebody, does, does anyone know, what, is the, what are the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat? Does anybody know other than Ron? All right, so, uh, so Ron, you go ahead. Shout it out, brother. So he was the one who put uh, uh, golden calves in Bethel and Dan and had a priesthood and, and uh, basically made Israel descend by telling them to go worship before those golden calves in Bethel and Dan. Amen. So, thank you. Good. So Jeroboam was the uh, contemporary of Rehoboam. The, Jude, the king of Judah and Jeroboam wanted to he did not like the idea that, that worship was to be had in Jerusalem uh, and so what was once Dan and Micah wandering off the range in Shiloh and not worshipping at the temple or the tabernacle at that time now you have Jeroboam and Rehoboam when the temple's built and all Israel under David and Solomon worshipped in Jerusalem as, uh, together there became a civil war and Rehoboam Uh, who wasn't a good guy either, even though he was the right guy because he was the right line and right tribe, um, uh, ended up uh, having basically a split. That's how you got the ten tribes to the north, and then you got Judah and Benjamin, uh, the two tribes. that kind of split up until the captivity. And so that's all based off of this. Um, And so it's almost sort of like... the how the uh, the Roman Catholic Church became you had the Orthodox and the uh, you have the Greek Orthodox Church and then the Roman Catholic Church but that's we'll get into that so uh, so what happened well we already covered that last week but the point is is that uh, what Ron said was exactly right so where did he get these these altars well it goes back to Dan and they were already worshiping these these images these bulls and so he's like oh well let's put one here at Dan and uh, where's the other one Ron do you remember. And Bethel, right? Um, and so let's put these two pagan idols here, and nobody needs to go to Jerusalem anymore. You can just come here and worship. And Baal worship begins. And so God doesn't forget that. He remembers that. And then Jerob- many years later, Ahab comes along, and he marries his Idonian, and he just puts gas on that flame, and just poof. And Baal worship is the is the primary thing going on in uh, the religion of what was supposed to be, the at least, you know, the people of God in Samaria. Samaria is a mixed group, but but that's what goes on. So in your notes there, it says Ahab becomes the king. Uh, did I put that up? There we go. Ahab becomes the king of Israel and marries Jezebel, who is the daughter of the king of Zidonians. He then serves Baal, and Jezebel apostatizes Israel as she gets them all to worship Baal, after the manner of her fathers. So, let's just pause right here just for a moment. How many remember the story of Elijah killing the prophets of Baal, right? So remember that? Just just to kind of give you, when you read Revelation, or uh, Proverbs, and you think about this lady who kisses with an impudent face and all of that, just the mindset of her is just so, uh, she's just, uh, she thought she was probably pretty, by the way, uh, because of the way she, her end uh, goes. She thought she could just you know, flirt her way through her death, which didn't happen. Uh, but she she's uh, obviously very sure of herself. So so Elijah, the prophet, you know, the story goes down. Prophets of Baal challenges them. You know, fire comes down, laps up everything. He goes and kills them all. It's victory lane. He goes back to Ahab, and Ahab's kind of like, whoa, you know, man, maybe we should serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at this power. But then Jezebel rolls along, and she's like, what? We ain't doing that. And she's absolutely not even moved by the power of God. So much so that it throws Elijah into a loop, right? He thinks that by now, I mean, with all this action, surely this is, this is, the, this is the beginning of the end for, for paganism in Israel because, you know, look at all this. And it's like, she's like, nope. I, as a matter of fact, I'm going to kill you. That's, how, that's about how much she cared about how successful God was against the prophets of Baal. I mentioned that just to kind of give you an insight to because I've read that story before. I thought, man, how is it was like a punch in the gut for Elijah? <laughs> I mean, this guy's a, a man's man. He's out there going against the prophets of Baal, kills them all. And one woman's word, you know what her words did? They pierced right through him and hit him in the heart. Next thing you know, he's whimpering off like a little dog hiding in the woods, you know, waiting for some some crow to feed him, right? And so some raven. So because she was just completely not moved. This is a hard-hearted Picture. picture of a pagan religion religious system uh, not at all impressed with God's power which tells you how hard things can get in a false religious system pretty yeah yeah she was pretty uh, she's probably very persuasive with her words uh, and whatever else but uh, nonetheless it wasn't uh, she she uh, she will meet her in so look look at chapter eighteen um, and let's look at seventeen through um, 30. That's a lot. So let me kind of take this on so I can kind of run through it quickly. Verse 17, it says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house uh, that have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel into Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of the groves. Four hundred which eat at Jezebel's table. Notice where they're hanging out at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him; and if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. And uh, then said Elijah unto the people, I even I only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men, which isn't actually too true. He found out there were 4,000 and didn't bow their knee. But let them, therefore, give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves. And for time's sake, you guys know the story. I just kind of talked about it. They ended up going head-to-head, and uh, Elijah wins. So verse 30, and Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. All the people, come near unto me. And he repaired the altar Of the Lord that was broken down, and Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar uh, in the name of the Lord, and made a trench about the altar, great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the the wood in the in order, and cut the bullock in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, uh, Fill four barrels with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifices and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time, and they did it the second time. And he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. And the water ran about the altar and filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of, of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that thou, there, thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that uh, thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, uh, he is God. The Lord, he is God. All right, so that's quite an awesome thing that goes on there. So Baal worship connected with the tribe of Dan is is a practice in Israel it's taken on by Elijah. Uh, they worship the sun god in the sun in, uh, on Sunday, right? Uh, and the black robed uh, Baalite priests, called fathers, who humiliated themselves as penance, which I skipped over for their sins to their God. Uh, and so through their penance, they try to manipulate their God uh, to get him to do what they want, right? That's just basically like Roman Catholic. You ever seen a, where they self flagellate? They beat themselves? In Islam, they do the same thing. They'll put uh, razor blades on a whip, different sex of Islam, and they'll beat themselves until they're bloody down their back. And that's all just to please the sun god, uh, Baal. And so, uh, whoever one likes to call Allah, or the god of the Roman Catholics. So, in the Old Testament, Satan used a literal woman... Uh, named Jezebel to corrupt Israel by introducing them to a false religious system that had black-robed priests called fathers who used idols as aids in worship, and that false religion is called Baalism, right? Baal worship. So in Thyatira church period, Satan used a figurative woman named Jezebel in an attempt to corrupt biblical truth and uh, dilute Christianity. So this false... Here we go. This false... uh, religion is called Roman Catholicism in Roman Catholicism uh, Baal and in Roman Catholicism Baal is called Jesus but he is not the Jesus of the Bible so in uh, in your notes there another it's another Jesus that's proclaimed in another gospel received through another spirit second Corinthians 11 4 it's preached by false pro- apostles Jews who say those who say they're Jews and are not they take on the priesthood second Corinthians 11: 13 who are actually Satan's ministers so uh, it's an important. It's an important note that Baalism is an uh, of the Old Testament um, is Roman Catholicism in the New Testament. So that's why the seat, the synagogue, and the religious practices have been moved. A lot of them are symbolic, uh, but they're still there. So let me again. I'm going to probably stop for tonight. Well, I'm just about done. So let me just finish this up. and Then I want to, if I have some time, I want to read a little bit more give you a little bit more insights to some of the Baal worship in Roman Catholic Catholic Church. So let me, did you guys get that note? Is? Okay, moving on. So the judgment of Jezebel in uh, verses 21 and 23, um, which we saw in Revelation 2, God gives this religious system the opportunity to repent. Uh, And, of course, you can remember what I said. I didn't read it, and you can go keep reading in the book of uh, Kings, but you'll see that uh, Jezebel doesn't ever repent. She never repents. Um, she won't do it. Uh, her future destruction is recorded in Revelation seventeen 18. We've read that, um, uh, the religious system. Those ten kings are going to kill, destroy uh, the religious system. So there's a political, there's going to be a political, the, and I've said this a lot, but what you see in Revelation is the political system that is, she helps usher in Antichrist, um, but then he allows her to be killed. It's the opposite of Jesus Christ. Uh, who comes very lowly, who is not received. They want him as a political leader, but they don't want him as a savior. Uh, he dies for his bride. Uh, picturing Genesis chapter 2 was, as the bride of Christ comes out of the side of of uh, the rib of Adam. Of course, Jesus died. He was punctured. The blood and the water came out, and he covers us in his blood, and we're saved by his blood. So he dies for his bride. Satan, on the other hand, uh, he rides this beast in the power, uh, she brokers a deal with these ten kings, and then he turns and says, "Yeah, go ahead and have her, destroy her," and that's what happens. And so, uh, and so he can take over the religious affairs of at that time. Then it'll be the nation of Israel and the Temple Mount, and all the and the and he'll be right back in business, going head to head, just like the time of Jezebel, just like the time of Ahab, except it'll be a coup, a real coup, and that they'll be pulling this stuff off right there in, in uh, Jerusalem, which is the capital city which is spiritually Sodom and Egypt, so, uh, where Jesus Christ died. So that's exactly where Satan's headed with all that. But that's another, another message. So, um, and so we got to look at this and understand uh, what's going on. Uh, a look at what history records during Thyatira Church period. In 541 A.D., a disease known as the Black Death uh, or the Bubonic Plague uh, began along the commercial trade routes of the Roman Empire. Twenty-five million people were killed, um, which that's a lot, how many people have been killed by COVID? Six million, maybe? In the world? Seven billion people? Seven, well, right, who knows, really, because the reporting is... It, it could have been... Yeah, it's much less probably than has been recorded. But uh, at any rate, uh, even at the, the current rate, a lot less than that. That's a serious plague, like the Spanish flu. All right, so uh, was this God's judgment? Well, Revelation 2... God did not use do this to them, but rather gave them the wages uh, that they earned. In, uh, in our text in Revelation 2.23, just let them reap what they sowed. Uh, it says there, And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. And so, in Baal worship, you offer your child to, to Baal. And God's like, okay, we'll just let your children go. And uh, God has a way of getting to people. That's why Pharaoh, right, he took his firstborn. And uh, God ended up giving his firstborn. So it's interesting, all those parallels. But uh, um, another point of interest in history records that many Jews and Bible believers did not die because they were diligent about staying clean. They believed the Bible and they lived it. And, of course, they were blamed for the black death too, by the way. Uh, back in that time period, the Jews especially because the Jews were doing the law, the, di- the the laws of the Old Testament, so they were they were not as affected you know they washed their hands and did all the things you 're supposed to do, um, and so Christians also tended to be a little cleaner so uh, so anyway, for what it 's worth, all right, so let me pause there, take a breath. all right, any questions or I, unless someone think i 'm not beating up on the Roman Catholics per se. Oh, it really does sound like I am, doesn't it? Um, it's just the religious system. The religious system to this day is wicked as it's ever been. It really. I mean, all you gotta do is look at the good Joker that's running that show. He is not the vicarious representative of God on Earth. He's a bouncer from Argentina who's a Jesuit. That's who he is. And so, even the Roman Catholic priests don't like him. So um, he's exactly what the Roman Church needs to into the last day to go into the last days. So. Uh, you know he's he's not much, and so and a lot of my Roman Catholic friends would even agree with that to be honest with you. So, uh, so during the, this period, there was still uh, Bible believers right. There's always been Bible believers. There always will be. They're, 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 uh, they were often referred to by their enemies, uh, and this is important. Getting these names down uh, as Cathari, Montanists, Novatians, Donatists, Euchites. Um, um, Messalines, Nestorians, Polycians, Bogomiles, Albigensians, and Pickards, and there's more. Uh, When you get, uh, we'll get to some more in the next church age too. So they were later called Waldensians, Anabaptists, Mennonites, Hussites, Brethren, and Baptists. That's where we ended up getting our heritage from. Were those folk? All right. So uh, I have eight minutes. So let me give you a quick review. The uh, Ephesus period began to deviate from the Word of God. The Smyrna period um, caused those deviations to become false doctrine, and you guys have all this in your notes. The Pergamus period; uh, those doctrines were fully developed, and the church married the world and became uh, pagan. Papal Rome, and then the uh, in the in point D there, the Thyatira period. Papal Rome uh, began her conquest of the world. All right, so. Um, let, me, let me quickly just touch on a few other things uh, regarding this church age and paganism. I said I would touch on this. So some things just to kind of keep in, in, uh, in mind with the dark ages at this time. Uh, the society was controlled by the church during this time. Um, and so in the Gospels, there are several occurrences of Jesus clearing the money changers out of the temple. But many people miss the significance of of what was going on. It was not a flea market. The priests were selling sacrificial animals, and they would not let the people sacrifice that which they bought. Um, Instead, in order to obey God's commandments, they had to buy what they brought, I should say. They had to buy sacrifices from the priests. You couldn't bring your own herd or your own uh, choice of the flock, your own choice lamb from the flock or what have you, or it really wasn't even about what you brought. You could have brought a dove. You could have brought a lamb. You're just supposed to bring an offering. The best that you had. And um, the priests were like, no, no, your best isn't good enough. You've got to buy from us. Of course, they're making some money. So you can see how that works. The people are controlled by the priesthood, and the priesthood became rich. So that's much the way the priesthood began to operate during this time. The church is operating uh, of Rome at that time in the same way. So illiteracy was a big part of that. Um, and so the book, The Vanishing Word, in, in that book, the author speaks to how visual imagery leads to the return of paganism. Uh, by the way, these things here are taking us back to visual imagery. People are becoming less and less readers and more and more object-oriented learners. And they're even bringing that into our school system. That is not good for thinkers. It's easy. It's lazy. And, not, and I'm, I'm a visual person, by the way. But you still want to be able to go beyond that and imagery. And so, and you should appreciate good imagery. I'm not against it. I, I'm visual, like I said. But at the end of the day, you've got to be literate and you got to read. Okay. So it's easier to control people, is my point, because knowledge was on the decrease not on the increase. In that book, the author gives history of the nation of Israel and how the Jews were taught to read throughout their history. This allowed them to become knowledgeable about God without total reliance on Levitical priesthood. They were able to know what the Bible said about their God without depending upon the Levitical priesthood. Uh, Many places in the Old Testament uh, state that it was up to the fathers, right? Deuteronomy 6, to teach their children... The words of God, they were expected to be illiterate people. So throughout the Dark Ages, people were increasingly illiterate and were kept uh, that way by the church. And the church made it illegal to own a Bible and read a Bible. In order to further establish their power, they changed the official language of the Bible and the church to Latin. And most people didn't know Latin, but only the privilege would be taught it, as I was mentioning earlier. So the result of all of that was an illiterate uh, people that were a- easy to be controlled. So keep that in your mind right now. As the world's getting dumber, not smarter. So now there's new doctrines. So these doctrines came in and I'm going to be done. The seven sacraments. Oh, I still have a few minutes. So the seven sacraments came into to being, right? And so uh, baptism, which we're like, well, we do baptism. But they were doing child baptism. Uh, confirmation, uh, which they believe gives you the Holy Ghost. So your child is not saved by grace through faith, other than the grace that's given to them by the church. They got to be a part of the church to be saved. That's what confirmation classes still are about to this day. You're not saved by Jesus Christ's finished work. You're saved by membership in the church body. So guys like Jonathan Edwards and, all, and those guys decoupled all of that back in, in the beginning of the First Great Awakening in the congregational churches in the United States. They came out of, the, of Europe, and they were struggling because they knew they had unregenerate people in their churches, and they were there because they were just coming because their parents were there. And it just became a generational thing. And so they started preaching the gospel, and guess what? People started getting saved. That's why they preached messages like "sinners in the hands of an angry God," because that was a, that was a legacy that had gone all the way through the Reformation to the churches here. The people that didn't adhere to that were born again Bible believing Baptists and uh, people like us, Waldensians, um, uh, the ones, uh, the Moravians, and so on and so forth. And so, uh, baptism, confirmation class. Uh, the Eucharist, which is just uh, which is hocus pocus, the Latin mass, all that stuff that goes on, the bell rings, turns this into the body of Christ. We talked about that transubstantiation, all that came in, penance uh, which allowed the priest uh, to forgive your sins, marriage uh, graces which which puts you in union, uh, gives grace to grow into a union and provide stability. Holy orders were given, uh, the extra grace to those that <clears throat> that were ordained priest, the anointing of the sick sick. Uh, not six, the sick, which provided grace of healing uh, for the sick. And then the purgatory doctrine came in. So the seven sacraments, purgatory was introduced around 600 A.D., about the same time Islam was rising. Um, and so there, was, there wasn't, there was you know, the biblical definitions. Um, and then the worship of Mary was, was venerated. That was before this church age in 431. They were worshiping the Queen of Heaven, Jeremiah 718. And then, of course, uh, the images that we've talked about, 787, Images became a major part of the church, and the architecture of the church buildings become important. Yeah, you can't, you know, you can't have go without that. So the cross becomes the object of worship, not the object of consecration. The altar is worshipped. Uh, the candles are lit. The sunburst from the pagan Egyptian god becomes the center of worship, with the Eucharist and the priest. Clothes and the entire system finds its roots in pagan worshiping. That comes from uh, uh, Arthur W. Hunt out of the Vanishing Word, which is exactly what is recorded in history. Conversely, there are some good uh, folks uh, named the uh, Patrians, uh, the, the uh, Charlemagne, by the way, in 800 A.D., I didn't touch on that. Um, well, I've already given you the name, so I'm going to stop there. But uh, another thing with those monarchies that begin the monarchy system began around 800 A.D. In 753, uh, Stephen III allied with Pepin the Short, the Frankish king, and ensured the success of the Franks. That alliance with the Franks was imported uh, or was important to the papacy during the 8th century. And uh, then that began uh, when, <clears throat> in the 8th century, they were being threatened by the Byzantine rivals, uh, the Lombards. So through military campaigns, the Lombard kings threatened to take over Rome and the papacy. And so they got into these these wars. Uh, and in 774, Charlemagne uh, had succeeded his father as the king of the Franks and assumed kingship over the Lombards. So when Char- Charlemagne... Uh, I don't have. I'm out of time, but man, you got to read it. I wish I had time to read. That was a huge part of this church period in history when Charlemagne was uh, at Christmas Day, um, and I forget the date. It must have been 774 around that time. Um, Charlemagne was on Christmas Day, 800 A.D. I'm sorry. He knelt in prayer at Saint Peter at Saint Peter's, and the Pope crowned Charlemagne uh, emperor by placing a gold crown on his head. And so at that point, that's when the Roman Catholic Church started crowning the kings. And if you wanted to be a king, well, the pope, you went through the pope because he's the vicar of God, and he had the authority to be the kingmaker, right? Does that make sense? So that was a huge move by Rome. Uh, and that's why I said la- earlier, you know, a thousand years later, that's when, you know, Napoleon Bonaparte comes along and says, I- get off me, Rome. And he goes in and, and uh, whatever you think of him, he didn't like Rome, that's for sure. And he didn't like the pope, so he went into Rome and took it, and uh, uh, and so those are that whole thing of the monarchies working at the behest of the pope, that, that doesn't get loosened up until the Reformation, and so guys like Martin Luther, right? He ends up getting some coverage by some of the princes of of Germany, uh, and a lot of a lot of liberty comes out of those out of that area of Germany or Bohemia, and then you have uh, King Henry the that wicked man. He also, because of his divorce, he cuts the cord. And, uh, and so that starts to free up people from the Roman Catholic grip. But it took those things going on in history later on. This was a lockdown time period. I mean, it was it, you did not go against Rome. Uh, I mean, even as a king, you didn't go against Rome because they had guys like Charlemagne that would come visit you and uh, lean on you very hard. And you didn't have enough money or men to beat up on Charlemagne. So you better do what the Pope says. And so that's how the monarchies have been ran uh, you know up until the advent of the Philadelphian church age. and so um, that's all I got to say about that. I'm out of time, so forgive me. I' love talking about this stuff I could go on all day. so uh, any, any one last shot any questions, burning questions that we need to answer? All right we'll pray and you can go get your kids and deliver those children's workers. Heavenly Father. Thank